Well, hello, church. I want to welcome all of you here at Rock Island, as well as greet our family at Bendorf, the men at the Kiwanee Center, and each of you tuning in online. If this is your second time here after checking things out at Easter, I want to welcome you back. What we celebrated at Easter is the beginning of a great adventure. And we're leaning into the inherent freedom we have in that journey. It's a freedom that only Jesus gives. And so we're taking time to have a four-week conversation that we're simply calling free. Free to live, free to be, free to worship, free to love. And this weekend, we're focusing on that free to love aspect. Because that resurrection, the thing we celebrated at Easter, is not confined to Easter. It's not limited to Easter. Jesus' victory over sin and death, the release of a new kingdom, all of that positions us to live in new freedom today. So we can look at others differently, look at ourselves differently, and even relate to God differently. And all that's possible because of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You may recall if you were here last week that it was that missionary and church planter stud, Paul, who wrote this in Romans. He said this, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. What we celebrated last weekend, that, what happened that first Easter when Jesus was raised from the dead, that Spirit that raised him is available to you and I. And that Spirit's availability is positioned to help us live in freedom. Jesus came for freedom. In fact, it was Paul in another part of Scripture in a letter to the church of Galatia. He said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us what? Free. free. Man, we're free in Jesus. Absolutely free. Jesus himself said, so if the Son sets you free, you, are, you will be free indeed. We're free in Jesus, totally free. Now you may be thinking, free from what? Well, free from sin, free from shame, free from regret, from worry, from fear, from our past, you name it. There's tons of things we're free from, but there's also some things that we're free to. We're free to worship, free to live, free to love, and so much more. When Jesus is our Savior and we receive him as Lord, we're free, we're free. And I realize for some of you, you weren't quite ready to recognize Jesus as Savior and receive him as Lord last week. And I want you to know that's okay. You need to do it when you're ready. There are plenty of things in this life that push us into something or force us or even entice us into something. But to love and be loved is not one of them. It reminds me of the story of an oil tycoon, a billionaire. His only daughter was ready to be married and, and he wanted to help her find a husband worthy of her. So he invited a bunch of eligible bachelors to his house and in the backyard around this large pool, he was hosting these men. But as these men were edging along the side of the pool to get to refresh him, they noticed that inside the pool it was filled with sharks and piranha and, and alligators and anything that wouldn't hesitate to eat a grown man alive. It was a little bit odd and weird, but the tycoon showed up and he said, gentlemen, thanks for coming. He introduced himself. And he said, the reason I brought you here is that I love my daughter dearly, and I want to help her find a husband who is worthy to take her hand in marriage. So here's the deal. The first man who can enter into the pool and swim to the other side will have their choice of one of three things. They can either choose today to have a check written out to them for a million dollars, or to have the property rights to my most lucrative oil field, or third, take the hand of my daughter in marriage. 
Become an heir to my estate. Become my son. It was an interesting situation. That group of men were silent, and they were looking at each other awkwardly, thinking, I'm not sure any amount of money is worth entering that pool. But that silence was soon broken by the sound of a splash. And everybody turned to see one man swimming for all he had across that pool, swimming faster than an Olympic swimmer. And he made it to the other side, and he hopped out, and he shook himself off, and then began to trot around back to the rest of the group. And when he got to the tycoon, the tycoon hugged him, shook his hand and hugged him and said, well done, son. That was an excellent swim. So what will you have? You want to check for a million dollars? And still trying to catch his breath, the guy said, no, no, sir. He said, well, then would you like the oil rights to my most lucrative oil well? Still trying to compose himself. He said, said, no, no, sir. And then with a tear in his eye, the tycoon said, so you want the hand of my daughter in marriage? And to the surprise of everyone, the man said, no, sir. A bit puzzled and a little bit hurt, the tycoon said, then what do you want? The man said, sir, I only want one thing. I want to know the name of the man who pushed me in the pool. (laughs) Listen, we get pushed and forced into all kinds of stuff in this life and world, but to love and be loved is not one of them. We are created to love. It doesn't require extra resources, doesn't require a feat of strength. It is something that appears in an instant and disappears in an instant because it's one of the few things one of the few things that its lack or abundance is changed by an act of will. And we have an opportunity to love because God demonstrated his love for us in his son, sending him his sacrifice, raising him from the dead so that we have a chance to be free. See, without Jesus, we're kind of stuck. We're stuck in sin, we're stuck in shame, we're stuck in regret. We can even get stuck in anger or hate. But, but Jesus sets us free so we can live differently. Yet many people misunderstand this freedom as simply something that positions us to do whatever we want. But that's not what it is. The freedom that Jesus gives us isn't positioning us to do whatever we want, but to position us to live into who we were created to be in the first place. The freedom that that Jesus gives is not simply the ability to do what we want, but the opportunity to do what Jesus wants. It's not permission to chase our own desires and our own interests, but the opportunity to do exactly what God wants. Without the fear that our value is defined by our performance, that if we do really well, we're loved more, that if we do poorly, we're loved less, See, when we're identified in Jesus, we're free. We're free from performance. We're free from worry, from fear, from regret. We're free. But we're not free to just do our own thing. I mean, we are, but that's not the point. We've been freed to live into the purpose God created us for. When Jesus is our Savior and Lord, we no longer live for ourselves. We're actually positioned in a new paradigm where we live for him. We live into the purpose that he gave us life in the very beginning. And and it doesn't just happen by not being strong-armed into it or pushed into it. It's out of love. It's out of sincere love, understanding his love for us, that we in turn love him. And we can actually live loved. Because we are, so we do. But here's here's how this works. Hang with me for a second. 
God, in his infinite wisdom and power, created us. He created us. But he not only created us, he created others. Now, he did this out of a desire for fellowship, out of a desire for relationship. In fact, he did it solely out of love. This explains why he creates, why he cares, why he looked for a a problem and solution to sin in sending Jesus, why he gives us eternal life, because his love is eternal. It was out of love that he created us and others and positions us to love others and to love him. Now, this is probably not a new concept for many of you. It's something you understand if you've been around the church world or been in the context of studying God's word, that we're to love God and love others. But, but this paradigm changes the way we live when we understand it. It actually positions us to be a people who, when we think of ourselves and as we live, that we no longer live for ourselves, but that we die to self. And we live for him. Now, the challenge in this equation is understanding how does this play out? We can say, oh, I get that. I understand how that works. But what does it mean in how we live? Because this should define how we live. Well, here's how. And this may be a review for some of you, but it's going to be new for many of you. You see, God loves us enough that he wants to be known. And he makes himself known. In the Psalms, it says, he says, be still and know that I am God. Out of God's love for us, he reveals himself so that we can know him. He reveals himself through his word, through his spirit, and even through creation. He reveals himself so he can be known. And when he does that, it's out of love. He doesn't do anything apart from love. God is love, therefore it's out of love. And the reality is when he reveals himself to us and expresses the love that he is, then we can love in return. Scripture says we love because he first loved us. So when we get to know something about him, our response can be the response of love. We love because he first loved us. But that's not the end of it. It's not just a warm and fuzzy feeling. What it does is when we know him, then we love him. But when we love him, it positions us to trust him. We trust. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love always trusts. And when we know him, we love him. When we love him, we trust him. It's a beautiful thing. But that trust then leads us to the place where we obey. It leads to the expression of obedience. When we trust him, we obey. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, he said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. In that specific statement, he connected for all time love and obedience. If we love him, we obey, and our obedience is an expression of that love. Now here's where this gets exciting. See, when we know him, we love him, we love him, we trust him, and we trust him, we obey him. But he goes on in verse 21 to say, that when you do that, then I will show myself to you. And now we know him more, which means we can love him more and trust him more and obey him more and love him more and know him and love him and trust him and obey him. It's no love, trust and obey in deeper and deeper levels of relationship. And it only stops when we don't do our part. See, God is love. He reveals himself and we love because he loves us and love always trusts. And this is where it breaks down. When we choose not to trust and choose not to obey. When we don't do the thing he's asked us to do. When we don't obey this whole thing falls like dominoes. When we don't obey, it means we don't trust. When we don't trust, it means we don't love. When we don't love, it means we don't really know him who is love. But when we do, we live in this circuit of increasing relationship and intimacy all rooted around the reality of his love for us. It's beautiful. 
Now here's the thing about this. It's not just about us loving God, but he's positioned us to love others. So how does that really work? Well, as he reveals himself to us out of his love, it positions us to risk in relationship with other people. To risk. Look, we, we know when you reach out to somebody, you start a relationship, you're, there's a risk. You expose your heart, your emotions, your life. It, there's a risk in relating to people. And I'm pretty sure all of us have experienced where that's gone sideways and it's hurt deeply. But out of the love of God, the love we have for him, he positions us to risk in relationship with people. And as we risk, it positions us to serve. This is where we come alongside people in meeting their real needs and caring for them. It's where we want more for them than from them. This is where we talk about second gap ministry as a church family. When, when we love people, we'll risk in relationship with them. And then it actually positions us to serve. And out of that service, the beautiful thing is, now we get to know them a little bit differently and know them in their struggle and understand who they are and see who God has created them to be. And when we know them, well, now we actually love them even more. And then we're positioned to risk again and serve again and know them even deeper and express that love and over and over and over again. Now, here's the beautiful, wonderful thing. These are not two separate circuits. They're connected. If we try to do this circuit without this one, it's hard. It's a struggle, if not impossible, to fully do it right. And we try to do this circuit without this one, we're not really doing this one. Because the reality is, as we risk in relationship and serve and we know somebody and we experience that love at a new level, well, now we actually trust God a little bit more because we did what he said and we saw what happened and now we obey him a bit more and he shows us more, we love him more, and we keep running this circuit as we keep running this circuit. And it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. And what God does in this whole dynamic is he positions us where his love is to and through. His love is to us and through us. This is authentic love. The, the bottom feeds the top, and the top reflects the bottom. In some ways, we could say that, that love is the source and satisfaction of following Jesus. Love is the source and satisfaction of following Jesus. It's the beginning and the end of following Jesus. All of the greatest and most important things in life begin and end in love, and Jesus frees us to love. We are free to love in him. But the reality is, until we understand who he is. We don't know that. That love is a, it's the source. It's, the, it's what starts and initiates relationship. It sustains relationship. It completes the following relationship in him. And he's the, the love is the source and the satisfaction. Yet, yet we can't love God until we know he loves us. The beautiful thing is what Jesus did allows us to see and understand that love, to know what love is. Here's what the disciple John said in 1 John 3, verse 16. He said, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Laid down, our life, laid down his life for us. Love is the source and satisfaction of following Jesus. Now you still may be wondering, okay, that's how we know what love is, but what, what, what is love? How, how, what does it mean to be loved? See, our world has a lot of varied defini definitions of what love is. And what we use to describe as one word the Greek used four words. There's four words to describe love in the Greek. There's only one word that we use. Let me just show you what those words are. Eros, that's sexual or sensual love. It's passion. Eros is that sexual passion. But then there's storge, 
which is family devotion. It's that familial connection among family, that, that love and affinity among family. Beyond that is phylos, and phylos is brotherly love. It's that connection and camaraderie outside of family, but in community. But then fourth and finally is agape. And agape is self-sacrificing, deep abiding love. And this is the love that Jesus sets us free to live in. Agape love. Let me ask you this. How many of you know the purple dinosaur, Barney? Raise your hand, get him up high. Barney the dinosaur, Bettendorf, get him up too. Okay, yeah, many of you, many of you. I mean, that show started in 1992. It ran for 17 years, took a hiatus. And now in 2017, Barney's making a comeback. He's coming back. And it was a good show with good intentions. And listen, I gotta, I gotta confess, I gotta tell you, I have been known to sing a few Barney songs around the house. Especially when cleaning up, the clean up song. Clean up, clean up, everybody do your share. It's a great song. And my boys used to giggle and sing along with me, but now that they're almost 18 and 21, they just laugh at me when I do that. And that's okay, I don't mind. But there's another song, it's the theme song for Barney that, that you may know and be familiar with. It says, I love you, you love me, we're a... Yeah, buddy. That's the power of music, people. Now listen, I love you, you love me, we're a happy family. That's nice sentiment. Sounds good, it feels good. I love you, you love me. That's great. But you know what? It's without the third and most important part, it will ultimately fail. When, when we get weary in our weakness, love between you and me can fail when we don't have the love of God as the source of that love. When he's not the one positioning us to live in that love relationship, over time it grows cold. Our love may grow and shrink, but God's love never changes. Never changes. He never gets tired of us. He never takes us for granted. He loves us today and every day just as much as he loved us the first day. His love is immeasurable. It's unending. And that love that he has for us should prompt love in return towards others. See, one of, the, one of the ways that we know if we truly love God is how we interact with those for whom he died. Others. How we relate to others reveals whether or not we truly love him. Maybe you can think about it this way. If you've ever purchased a, a vehicle or a lawnmower or something like that kind of equipment, you know that when you purchase an item like that, that there is a standard package. But then, then there are optional features that if you're willing to pay a bit more, you can acquire those features. They're standard and optional. When it comes to loving God, when it comes to loving others, that's standard package for someone who follows Jesus. It's not optional. Demonstrating love is required, regardless of our feelings, irrespective of the circumstances, even despite how difficult it may be to love that particular person. It's not optional, it's standard. And that's important because in the difficulty of loving people, we can be tempted to withhold love. But love withheld is not love at all. Love withheld is not really love at all. 
When we withhold love because we don't think somebody deserves it, or we're, we're waiting for them to demonstrate and prove that they deserve it, that's not love. Love is freely given, and the source is God, who is himself love. It's, it's not our circumstances, and it's not the qualifications of the other person. Our relationship with God through Jesus Christ positions us to be free to love. And we can always love. Now, let me be really clear in this, though. Loving others is not doing whatever they want. When we love family and friends and coworkers, we, we love them as we seek their good. It's not just giving in to every want and desire that they have. People can want the wrong things. So sometimes the most loving thing to do is to say no or to discourage an action. Parents, you get this. You do this all the time with your kids. God does this with us. If we're going to love somebody, we seek their good. And, and we need to love others en enough to do the same that God does with us, to be willing to walk the bottom part of the circuit on the easel so that we have the wisdom to walk the top. Without having that relationship and the Holy Spirit at work within us, the top part is incredibly complex. We need the bottom to understand boundaries. We need, to under, we need the bottom to know what the truth in love looks like on the top. And we need to have the courage to step out in that love. So let's just do this. I want to take a moment to understand this, this love that we get to know, how that actually plays out a bit. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's in your note guide. It's also going to be on the screen. But I'm going to walk over here and I'm going to read through this scripture that it's written by Paul. It's written to the church in Corinth. And we know a lot about the church in Corinth because Paul spent a lot of time there and he wrote a lot to and about them. And we're picking this up in verse 14 of chapter 5. And I just want to walk and talk through this as it relates to the easel a bit. So here we go, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. It says, for Christ's love. Whose love? Christ's love. For Christ's love compels us. Compels who? Us. us. Now listen, that is not forced compulsion. That's not being pushed into the pool. It is, it is a deep desire out of affection that wells up within us when we understand his love. For Christ's love compels us as the source and satisfaction because we are convinced, we, we know that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, so listen, Jesus died not just for you but for all people so that we can live in this relationship of love with God and other people. As we die to self. Verse 16. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. That means we look at people differently. We look at them with Jesus lenses. We see the value that's in them. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. That's, that's restored. We're restored. We have new life. When we re recognize Jesus as Savior and we receive him as Lord, man, we are new creatures in him. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he, was committed to, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore, listen, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, when we receive the gift of divine love and divine reconciliation, we now have the privilege and the obligation to, to like Paul, be a minister of that message of reconciliation, allowing the love of God to be expressed through us so that people can live in a, a, a dynamic alongside us where they want to know the reason for the hope that we have, and they ultimately, as they journey with us, step into their own relationship with Jesus. That's the gift that we're given as we live out the message of love and reconciliation. Now, that's not always easy, and it's messy, but it's worth it. And as I said before, we know if we really love him by how we treat those he died for. One of the other gauges or barometers is this concept, that when we want more for than from, we truly love. When we want more for people than from people, that's when we truly love. Love seeks more for than from, regardless of the circumstances. When we want more for people than from people, that's when we truly love them, which means we don't cheat. We don't cheat them or we don't cheat on them. We don't lie to them or about them. We don't look at them focused on what they owe us or what we can get from them. And we don't use them as commodities. We don't treat them as projects. We don't treat them as objects. We don't even use them as a stepping stone. We don't sexualize them. We don't manipulate them, abuse them, or use them in any way. When we want more for people than from people, that's when we really love. And Jesus frees us to live that way because that's exactly how he lived. Just think about this for with me for a moment. Jesus came to earth, lived and died, rose again. Okay, but in the midst of all of that, in the, in, the, in the pain and complexity of the crucifixion, in a place where he's hanging on the cross, enduring excruciating pain, he asks for the forgiveness of those who have accused him, betrayed him, and crucified him. Because he wants more for than from. And love wants more for than from, regardless of circumstances. And Jesus frees us to live that way. He even goes beyond that and gives a new command that John cap captured. Here's what he said. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love who? One another. One another. It's the others. It's the top part of the circuit. When we love one another... That's, a, that's agape love. That's that self-sacrificing, deep, abiding love. Now listen, it is not possible to truly love people you think less of or you see no value in. The crazy thing is, every person has innate value. They are image bearers of the king. No matter how they have lived or what they have done, they still have value and God loves them. And the moment we forget that, the moment we choose not to recognize that, positions us to want more from than for. And we feel justified. But we're not supposed to do that. When we finally want more for than from people, then we truly love. Now listen, it's really important to understand that love is not just a feeling, it's an action. So it means it's going to lead to some sacrifice. It's going to lead to a selflessness. It's going to lead to 
possibly to the greatest act of love ever, which is to lay down our life for somebody else. It's exactly what Jesus did, serving others with no thought of receiving anything in return. When we want more for than from, we seek to give more than we take. And in that dynamic, the love of God just continues to feed and, and, and provide and strengthen and enable us to do it. But I gotta tell you, there are two surefire ways to change someone. The first is to de- hurt them deeply. And the second is to love them deeply. If you choose to hurt somebody deeply, it's fast, it's obvious, it's, it's overt, it's, it's traumatic, and there's damage. But when you choose to love somebody deeply, you love somebody profoundly, that takes time. It's less obvious, but man, it is where transformation takes place. It's where this circuit turns into this circuit for them. And the love of God that we had in us now becomes the conduit by which they experience the love of God for themselves and choose relationship with him. As a church, man, we, we talk about living loved and linked and sent. We do that as we worship, as we relate to one another, and as we live our lives. I want you to understand something. Love, linked, and sent is not an add-on, an addition to adding to your to-do lists for the week. It is an intentionality, a greater intentionality and purpose around living the life of freedom you already have in Jesus with the relationships he's already bringing in front of you living loved and linked and sent. Jesus not only gave us a command to love one another, but he gives us the ability to do it by his death and resurrection, and he gives us the freedom to do it. But there's a choice and an action in it. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. One of the hardest realities about this call of God on our lives is that he does not want us to isolate or insulate ourselves from the pain and suffering of this world. So when we love others, when we serve others, when we strive to be all that God wants us to be, it is messy. And we do get hurt. And we get used. But those are the scars that God will honor when we stand before him one day. When we stand before him. Because he doesn't want us to play it safe. He doesn't want us to isolate ourselves from the difficulties of this world, but to risk out of his love for us. German theologian Helmut Thielich said this. He said, tell me how much you know of the sufferings of your fellow men, and I will tell you how much you have loved them. That's good perspective. It's good calibrating commentary for us to say, am I living out my love for God in a way that it's reflected in my love for others? It's a good thing to consider because God wants us to love as he has loved. Jesus didn't play it safe when he came to earth, and neither should we. So, so what? So what is a question we regularly ask ourselves. Because we want to move from thinking to living. We want to move from head knowledge to practice. So we're talking about the ability to be free to love. That ability comes by the Holy Spirit as we recognize Jesus as Savior and receive him as Lord. So the Holy Spirit positions us to live in that love. The Holy Spirit positions us to actually look more and more like Jesus, to to live more and more like him in our relationship to other people. Yet the love of God requires a choice and an action. So here's the question I want to put before all of us. Before all of us, where do you need to love more freely? Where do you need to love more freely? Listen, for some of you, that's right here. Right here. You need to love more freely in your relationship with God. 
See, you, you don't necessarily have a relationship with him yet. You have not received Jesus as your Lord. You haven't experienced the fullness of his love yet, and you don't yet trust him because you're just the things that have happened in your life. But today is the opportunity to more freely live into this relationship where you choose to trust him through relationship with Jesus, where you choose to obey him in, in the ups and downs of obedience, and then you get to experience who he is and know him more and love him more and trust him more and obey him more. This is where some of you need to love more freely. And if you're wanting to do that, you can take that step in a simple prayer on the back of the note guide or those steps. But again, you need to make that decision when you're ready. And some of you, this is where you need to love more freely today. I also realize that for some of you, this is where you need to love more freely. Perhaps God has been asking you to risk in a relationship with a neighbor or a coworker, somebody in your family. He's been asking you to risk, but because of your concern about the pain and complexity around it, you have withheld love, and it's not love at all. And you've played it safe. And your love for him is not reflected in love for others, which really means you don't love him. There may be somebody in your world that doesn't know you love them, maybe because you allowed something or, or you gave them a reason. And what he's asking you to do is love more freely and to risk in relationship, not irresponsibly, not to step into violent, hostile, unhealthy dynamics, but with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to navigate that in a way that is redemptive, to be a, a messenger of the gospel of reconciliation. Some of you need to love more freely and not with others, and some of you need to love more freely with God. But I also realize that there are some here today, today who need to love more freely right here. You don't love yourself. Shame and regret has positioned you in a place where you hate yourself. And you don't think you're worthy of love of a person, let alone love of God. But today, your opportunity is to release that through relationship with Jesus. You forgive yourself so he can forgive you. And you can experience his love and you can be a new creation, a new creature in him. And you can live in this circuit and then live in this circuit and see people transform because God's redeeming the story of brokenness in your life. But you got to take that step. And some of you need to love more freely right here. See, when we trust, we risk. When we obey, we serve others. And when we know him, we step into relationship with other people. And at the heart of it all is his love. His love. Freely given. Demonstrated on the cross. And the Holy Spirit, the spirit that raised Jesus allows us to no longer live, but to live for him in a way where both ends of this circuit are beautiful and transforming. And God gets the glory. Next week, we're gonna step into a bit more conversation about how we're free to live. But before we wrap up today, I wanna take a moment and give each of us an opportunity just to reflect and talk to God a little bit about where you're at in this reality, where you need to love more freely. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to put us in a, a prayer space. And as we step back into worship and song, I want to invite you to continue in reflection and continue in conversation with God as, as you need to, talking about where you need to love more freely, where you need to allow him to do what only he can. So would you join me as I pray and then as you continue in that space? Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we come before you in the name of Jesus today boldly, not because of us, but because of what he's done. And we say thank you. Thank you for demonstrating your love through him. Thank you for the opportunity to have relationship with you. Father, I, I thank you that you are patient and your love is immeasurable, that you pursue us even when we're 
wanting to make things about us, do our own thing, use the freedom you gave us for our own desires. But Lord, I pray in these next few moments as my brothers and sisters talk with you and reflect on what we've talked about out of your word, that you'd speak, that you would show us, Lord, where we need to love more freely, whether that's with you, whether that's with others or maybe just in our own personal journey. Lord, help us to step boldly into that, not in our strength, but in your strength. May we let go of things that are in the way. May we not make it about us. May we truly actually want more for than from, not only for others, but maybe we want more for, from you, for, for you than from you. But Lord, we'd never be able to match up to your grace and your goodness and what you pour out to upon us. So in these next few moments, Lord, I ask that you would speak and lead and move. We would know your love and experience it and live into the freedom that we have because we are free in your son, Jesus. We are free to live and free to love. And I thank you and praise you for that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.